All right. Well, I am really glad to be with you. I uh, am deeply fond of the ministry of Cornerstone SF, and I have followed the ministry for many years. I am from San Francisco originally. This is my home. I grew up just up the street from Reardon on uh, Brentwood Avenue, and I went to City College across the street and then San Francisco State. Pastor Terry and I actually were at school together at San Francisco State. I now live in Chicago, and whenever I'm in town, I am at Cornerstone and uh, very much appreciative uh, of the work that you do here. And I hope that you appreciate and pray for your pastor. Uh, pastor Terry has been here something like 35 years, which is really an amazing... I hope you appreciate the challenges and the uh, steadfastness of ministering in the same place over a long period of time, 35 years, in a very challenging environment too, I might add. And so uh, I am just tremendously appreciative of and grateful for uh, the ministry of Corner and Cornerstone and uh, Pastor Terry. And it's an honor, a genuine honor to be able to share the Word of God with you uh, today. Uh, I am thrilled to be uh, sharing uh, from a passage in 2 Corinthians 4 and 5, and the message title is Preparing for, et for Eternity. And we are finishing up now the Afterlife series, which has been a terrific series. I've been following along and uh, staying up on uh, where we're at with the series and really appreciating it very much. And when Pastor Terry asked me to preach on this particular topic, uh, I was thrilled. It is to me my favorite topic to talk about, the afterlife, because it is so consequential. It is so significant. It is so meaningful for us to contemplate contemplate and consider what lies ahead. And, uh, you know, over the past few years, uh, I have been to and conducted a number of different funerals. And uh, I find that funerals are deeply contemplative. And uh, whenever I am conducting a funeral, I often think to myself, you know, the things I'm sharing with the people who are here today is something I should be sharing every Sunday because it is the most consequential. And talking about the afterlife is exactly that. And so I find funerals times when I sort of step back and pause and give deeper consideration to the things that matter most as I consider my own mortality and the brevity of life. My hope, my prayer is that this series, this afterlife series that we're wrapping up today would have a deep impact in your life. I will uh, share with you that maybe 20 years ago, I read a book that had a deep impact on me. It was called Money, Possessions, and Eternity by Randy Alcorn. I highly commend it to you. He also wrote a more recent book called Heaven, which is also very powerful and helpful to get a clear biblical basis and understanding of the afterlife. So I commend that as a follow-up to this series. And... Uh, I will say that when I read Money, Possessions, and Eternity by Randy Alcorn something like 20 years ago, it significantly impacted the way that I live and my perspective on this life and the afterlife. And when you have a really clear appreciation and understanding of the afterlife, it does affect the way that you live now. And I believe 
that coming to a clearer understanding and appreciation of the afterlife has affected my life in the way that I live now. And I'm hoping that this series will do that for you too. That if you haven't really taken the time to pause and think deeply about heaven and eternity and the afterlife, that this series would be that for you. You know, I love to, when I'm driving, if I'm not um, under a time crunch, sometimes I'll be driving along on a, you know, on a road trip or something, and there'll be a vista point. Like over here on 280, if you're driving down 280 around Crystal Springs Reservoir, there's a vista point. And um, I love to, if I have the time to just pull over, get out of the car, stretch my legs, take a deep breath, and then look out over the beauty of God's creation, which usually what a vista point is, right? It's to look out on the beauty of God's creation. And, and I find that always to be a worthwhile stop because uh, sometimes just in the busyness of life, we don't sort of stop to appreciate God's beauty. And, and when I pull over to vista point, it's just a wonderful deep breath, Look out, gaze, appreciate the wonder and the beauty of God's creation. My hope is that this Afterlife series would be that for you, that you wouldn't just, you wouldn't just be like, oh, that was a really good series, what's next? But rather that you would pull over at the side of the road, that you would pull over at the vista point. So as we conclude this series today, that you would go back and you would take some time to dig more deeply into the things that we're sharing from God's word that you've been learning all along and as we conclude today. I don't believe that the sermon ever should be the thing. I believe that the sermon should be the catalyst for the thing, that, that you would come to church, that you would hear the word of God preached, and that that would inspire you and encourage you in your own time to settle down before the Lord and to really dig more deeply into the things that the pastor is sharing in the sermon. And uh, so that's, that's my hope. That's my hope for the Afterlife series is that it would be a catalyst and a help for you uh, to pull over and look more deeply at things that are consequential. And that's what we're talking about now is uh, preparing for eternity. And uh, as I wrapped up the presentation of this uh, message for today, I then thought after I was done, I thought, you know, because we're looking in Second Corinthians, we're looking at Paul's epistles, Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. But as I, as I wrapped up the presentation that I want to share with you today, and we'll get to the text in just a moment, I thought to myself, you know, so many of Jesus' parables are about preparing for eternity, aren't they? If you think about the parable of the 10 maidens who go out to meet the bridegroom and Five of them were prepared and five of them weren't prepared and it doesn't go well for the five that aren't prepared. And the message is you need to be ready. You need to be ready. And then you go from there in Matthew 25 to the parable of the talents, which follows it. And same thing, the master gives out resources, gifts, talents, and abilities to his servants. And he says, I'm going to be gone for a while, but I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And I'm going to expect you to be working and doing business while I'm away, but I'll be coming back and you need to be prepared for that. And then the one that really strikes me is the parable of the rich fool, who is a very successful businessman slash farmer, and he is doing so well, his barns are full. He's just like maxed out. He's, and he says, you know what I need to do? I need to tear down my barns and build bigger barns to store my stuff. And 
The point of Jesus' story there is that in this life, this guy is rocking it. He's, he's doing so well. But then Jesus says he wasn't prepared for the afterlife. And that's the great problem of this man. He, he was all in on the here and now, but he wasn't at all prepared for the future, the afterlife. He wasn't right with God. He had not prepared his heart and his soul to meet Christ and to go into the afterlife. So with all of that as a backdrop, kind of a long introduction, but I want to get to the text now. But I wanted to set it up because we're sort of jumping into the middle of Paul's letter to the Corinthians here in chapter 4, starting in verse 16. Let me read the text, and then we will, uh, and then we will dig in. Uh, all right. Um, First Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 16, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may, be found, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now that's quite a bit of text, but it is such a beautiful and comprehensive view of what it means to be preparing for eternity and why we must be preparing for eternity. And so that's what I wanted to look at there. And the first section I want to look at is 4.16 through 5.1. And the first point that I want to make is that this life is temporary. This life, everything that we know now in the physical form is a temporary state. And uh, that's what Paul says starting off here. We do not lose heart for though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And so the contrast there is our physical body is wasting away, but, but we don't lose heart. Why? Because spiritually, internally, we are growing closer in our walk with the Lord day by day. And uh, it reminds me, this, this contrast between the physical and the spiritual, our outer self and our inner self is the way he puts it in the text. As we, there's an inverse relationship. So as my body physically is deteriorating over time, and it happens to us all, right? The older we get, the more we need, you know, to try to hold it all together with some duct tape and medication. And we, we just, we are, we are fragile, frail people. 
And uh, jars of clay, he says in verse 7, were just like a fragile pot that if you were to drop it, it would break. That's how our physical bodies are. But they contain an eternal treasure. That's our spirit, which is growing. And there's an inverse relationship between our deteriorating physical body and our increasing spiritual life uh, with, with the Lord. It reminds me, as I think of that contrast between the physical and the spiritual, it reminds me of Jesus uh, talking to Nicodemus when he says that you must be born again. And what Jesus essentially says is everyone has been born physically, but you need to be born again spiritually. Everyone uh, is born physically, but not everyone is reborn. And that's what it means to be born again is to have your inside, your spirit turned on uh, to come alive into relationship with Christ. And uh, it's my hope that that has happened for you, that just as Jesus says to Nicodemus, a very religious man, you must be born again. My hope is that you too have been born again, that you don't just have a physical body that is becoming uh, weaker day by day, but more importantly, of a spiritual life inside of you that is growing deeper day by day. And that's why it's so important then that we're having our regular daily time with the Lord in his word, growing closer to him. Day by day, we grow weaker physically, but hopefully, prayerfully, we are becoming stronger and more closer to the Lord spiritually day by day. In verse 17, then he continues and he says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I know Pastor Terry has talked about this already. And as we're concluding the series, we're kind of pulling together some of these concepts that we've been talking about all along the way. Um, and here, Paul is comparing the physical suffering that he's been through, and he's been through a lot. Uh, in Lystra, he was stoned and dragged out of the city and left for dead. I mean, how badly do you have to be beaten for the people to be like, yeah, I think he's dead. I mean, this was bad. And Paul was left for dead and he was suffering literally physically. Not only was his body wasting away as he got older, but he also suffered physical affliction, literal physical persecution and affliction for sharing the gospel. And we may too, by the way, who knows where we're going in this culture. We may suffer physically even for sharing the gospel. But Paul did. He certainly did. And, and he references that here and he says, you know, all that I've been through, and he details this earlier in the passage. Uh, in fact, in chapter one, he says this. I'll just read chapter one where he says, we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. That's where he was stoned and left for dead. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. And what Paul is relating here as he starts, that's first, Second Corinthians chapter 1, is he's saying, I've been through a lot. And there's been times when I wondered, could I even go on? And now here he says, you know, as I think about it, as I ponder, all that I've been through, all of the physical, the beatings, the suffering, all of that is a light and momentary affliction compared to what's up ahead. The, the 
eternal weight of glory is so much, it, it's so far beyond anything I could go through in this life that the greatest suffering I could experience here is a light and momentary, momentary, temporary. This life is temporary is what he's saying. And no matter how much I suffer, it's only for a season. And then I in, enter into a uh, eternal uh, state of glory. And, uh, you know, that reminds me, too, of Hebrews 12, too, where it says of Jesus. Think about how similar this is, what, Je what it says of Jesus in Hebrews 12, too. Jesus, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And you think of Jesus going into the great suffering and crucifixion of the cross, and he did that with the view that this isn't all, there's something far greater up ahead. And, and that's kind of what Paul is saying here, that no matter how much I suffer, I, I understand that there's so much more up ahead for me in eternal glory with my master. And so he has an eternal perspective. And I would just challenge us to then live with that sense of eternal perspective that no matter what I have to go through here, no matter what the cost I can handle it. I can handle it because I know what God is preparing for me up ahead. Um, I love verse 18, which says, we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. It's almost opposite of what we would think. I tend to think of the physical things around me as what's sort of permanent and it's the opposite. Everything I see, touch, and feel is temporary. It's headed for the landfill. But there's something far greater than that that is unseen, and that is uh, eternity. And uh, I like the comparison in 5.1 that Paul makes where he says, For we know that if this tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. And he's describing our present life. In verse 7, he calls it a jar, jars of clay. And then here he calls it a tent. It's like our bodies are just a tent. I don't know about you, but I love to go camping. In fact, this summer, our family's going to go camping up at Tahoe. We're going to be at Sugar Pine Point State Park. And uh, my family's coming in from all over. We're celebrating uh, my father-in-law's 90th birthday. It's going to be great. And look forward to that. And I, we love to go camping, right? And we go camping in a tent. And camping in a tent is really fun and beautiful and for a while, for a while. Um, it's not supposed to be permanent. And if you go camping like in a little tent and you're out in the woods for a couple of weeks, you're like, okay, I, I think I'm done. I think I'm done now. Uh, you wouldn't want to live there. It's nice, for, it's nice for a time, nice for a season, nice temporarily. But I don't want to live in a tent. And that's what Paul is saying here. Our bodies are just like a tent. It's temporary. We, we're in it for a season, but there's something far more. All right, that's the first point. Life is temporary. Let's get on to number two. The second point I want to look at, starting in verse uh, chapter 5, 1 through 9, is the contrast now that this life is temporary, point one. Point two... Heaven is eternal. So there's the great contrast. Earth is temporary. This life is temporary. Heaven is eternal. And uh, that's the whole contrast that he's going to make here where he says uh, uh, we have, if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands. It's eternal in the heavens. 
For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. Uh, for while we were in this tent, we groan, being burdened. And so you get the sense from Paul, and I think we've all experienced it, that we do have physical ailments in our bodies, just they, they weaken and they wear out. And again, it's temporary, and he's contrasting that now with the building that is permanent and eternal, our heavenly home. And uh, the afterlife is very real. But as we saw in verse 18, because we don't see it, we tend not to think of it as real because we can't really touch it or feel it or see it. But it's very real uh, for sh indeed. In fact, I also was thinking about Jesus, how often he references in a very matter-of-fact way this age and the age to come in parallel as though they're just as, they're just as real, right? So he will say something. So for example, in Luke 18, Jesus says, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Wow. Jesus just speaks very matter-of-factly of this age and the age to come. There are two distinct time periods. There is the temporary time period, and you're going to be blessed. If you're following Jesus, if you're walking with him, yes, you may, you may have some suffering, but you're also going to have a great uh, family of believers. And, uh, but in the age to come, you will have eternal life. And uh, Jesus just speaks of that very matter-of-factly, like, well, of course, of course, this isn't all there is. And that's really the point that Paul is making here. There is something far more, far greater. And uh, we should also take courage, it says in verse 4, because uh, this life will be, uh, here it is, it's the end of verse 4, what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. So that which is mortal, and to be mortal simply means dying. The, the, the root word there is, is essentially dying. So mortal speaks of sort of the dying ones. So, so that which is dying, watch it, will be swallowed up by life, it says. The temporary physical body that we now have we're okay, we're okay, because one day it will be swallowed up by life. We tend to think this is life, but Scripture and our Lord speak more of the afterlife as the real life, the true life that we are heading toward. We understand that this isn't the thing. This is only preparation for the thing. We're right now, it's like our whole life is on the porch. We haven't even gone in the front door yet. We're like living on the front porch of the house. And scripture indicates that there's going to be a day when we will go through the door and we will enter into life. Jesus says it this way. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount on Matthew, in Matthew uh, 7, 14, he says this very familiar verse where he says, the gate is narrow... Uh, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those that find it are few. Think about that. Jesus is talking about us now going through the narrow gate that leads to life. 
But you say, well, I thought I was already alive. Well, in a sense, you're physically alive. And yes, your spiritual life has come into relationship with God. But Jesus seems to speak of something far uh, greater up ahead that what you need to do in this brief season called life is to find that narrow gate that leads to eternal life, the afterlife. And so that's what we want to understand, uh, that there is this life, which is temporary, and then there is heaven, which is eternal. Um, there is so much uh, tension there. I love the way C.S. Lewis puts it in The Last Battle, where he says at the end of his Chronicles of Narnia book, The Last Battle, uh, when the unicorn reaches Aslan's country, he says, quote, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all of my life, though I never knew it until now. The reason we love the old Narnia is that it sometimes looked a little bit like this. And that's a beautiful portrayal of heaven, which is going to be our, our real home, our eternal home, and that when we come into the age to come, eternal life, that we will know for sure that we have certainly arrived at home. This life is temporary. Heaven is eternal. That leads to our third point. If that is true, then third point, we must prepare for eternity. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. This is a very sobering text that uh, makes clear to us that just like in the parable of the talents, we've been given resources to do business with for the king, and that he's coming back, and we have to give an account. That's what a, an accountant does. An accountant goes through the books and says, show me how this money was spent. And uh, Jesus explains that that's the way it's going to be. And now Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, when we enter into eternity, we will give an account of our lives, not for salvation. We are saved by faith through grace. Uh, we are saved uh, by faith. And uh, we enter into heaven as a result of that. But that doesn't mean that our works don't matter. In fact, look with me at uh, Ephesians chapter uh, 2, verse 8 and 9, which we're very familiar with. And then we'll go into verse 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So we are saved by grace through faith, not as a result of our word. There's nothing I can do that God is going to say, oh, you know, you need to come into heaven because the things that you've done are so good. There's nothing I can do on my own to get myself into heaven. The only way I come into heaven is by grace through faith in Christ who gave himself up for me as a sacrifice for my sins. So I only come in through faith. However, that doesn't mean that my works in this life don't matter. They do. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So I'm not saved by my good works. I'm saved by my faith in Jesus. 
But that doesn't mean my works on this earth don't matter. They do. For I am created for good works. So here's the way I like to put it. I don't do good works in order to try to get to heaven. I do good works because I'm going to heaven. Having been saved, having been transformed by his Holy Spirit, I want to spend this brief moment called life, this brief moment on earth, I want to spend it doing good for all eternity. And I want to have an impact, an eternal impact in the lives of others. I mentioned Randy Alcorn's book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity. And look at the way he puts it. I'm going to excerpt from his book, uh, Money, Possessions, and Eternity. Alcorn says, where we spend eternity, whether heaven or hell, will be determined by our faith. Our further station in either place will be determined by our works. This life ends at death. We can't do it over again. There is no retaking the course of life on this earth once we've failed it. There's no improving a D to an A, no rescheduling of the final exams. It's not so simple as saying, well, we'll be in heaven and that's all that matters. No, on the contrary, Paul spoke of loss of reward as a great and terrible loss, 1 Corinthians 3.15. The receiving of reward from Christ is an unspeakable gain with eternal implications. The loss of reward is a terrible loss with equally eternal implications. What you do with your money and possessions and all of your other resources in this life is the last chapter of your autobiography. This book you have written with the pen of faith and the ink of works will go unedited into eternity to be seen and read as is by the angels, the redeemed, and God himself. Scripture, scripture simply does not teach what most of us seem to assume, that heaven will transform each of us into equal beings with equal possessions, equal responsibilities, and equal capacities. It does not say that our previous lives will be of no eternal significance. In fact, it says exactly the opposite. And so it's important for us to recognize that the most important thing for us in the here and now, in this present time period, in this age, is to, A, come into right relationship with Jesus Christ. Just as you told Nicodemus, we've all been born physically, but we have to be born spiritually as well. We have to uh, allow the Holy Spirit of God to uh, take over our lives and give ourselves, yield ourselves to Him. That's number one. But then number two, having done that, having yielded my life to Christ, and been saved by him through faith, now I spend my life doing good, investing in eternity, or as Jesus calls it, storing up treasures for yourselves in heaven. That's what Jesus says. Don't store up treasures on earth. Store up treasures for yourself in heaven. And that's what my good works do. My good works are storing up treasures in heaven. Really makes a difference in the way that I live my life. Look just briefly at the end of Paul's life in 2 Timothy, where he says at the end of his, uh, at the end of his life, and these are the final words, uh, these are the final words of Paul in 2 Timothy 4 when he's writing to young Timothy. He says this in verse 6, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have also loved his appearing. You see what Paul's saying? I'm at the end of my life now. 
And I'm confident that I've spent my life serving the Lord, doing good, helping others, living for each I've been preparing well. And so in 2 Corinthians 5.10, when I stand before the judge to give account of my life, I feel very confident that I am well prepared, that I have done what God gave me to do. And I am confident that I will be rewarded by him for that. And not only will I be rewarded, but all will be rewarded who do likewise. And I hope that this Afterlife series will help you, will help me, will help all of us contemplate the very important reality that this life is but for a brief moment. James says it's a vapor. It's here and it's gone. And uh, that we would recognize that we only have a very brief moment of time and it's temporary. And for us to use this time to serve the Lord, to be preparing for eternity. That's our desire. My grandmother used to say this, and I think Pastor Terry has quoted this. It's not unique. But my grandmother used to say this quite frequently. She said, one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. My hope, my prayer for you is that you will pull over the car, get out at the vista point, have a look over your life and consider eternity and how God would have you maybe live differently as a result of the eternal impact of your days on this earth. My hope, my prayer is that you would be preparing for eternity. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together. We uh, commit this uh, message to you. We pray that you would uh, allow your word to have a deep and abiding impact in our lives, that you might be honored uh, in our lives. We love you, Lord. Bless Pastor Terry, bless Cornerstone, bless this ministry, bless all who are um, listening to your word today. May they be encouraged in their faith, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How I long to breathe the air of heaven Where pain is gone and mercy fills the streets To look upon the one who bled to save me And walk with him for all eternity
promise we share, the promise of more, the promise of heaven, the promise that one day we will see Jesus and he will sing his song of love over our lives in a different way that we can ever experience it now. But between now and then, may his love and power fill our lives. May the promise of heaven inform us in the present and may the peace of Jesus be yours. Like I say, may the Lord keep you, loved one, in every way, in your spirit, in your soul, in your mind, all those thoughts of ours, and in our bodies. Lord, some of us need a healing. We welcome that healing even now in Jesus' name. We're just so grateful for who you are, Lord, the difference you've made for us in terms of our future, and the beauty of your presence in the now. Yeah, don't ever forget how loved and blessed you are.